Chapter One of the Real Latin Quarter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Real Latin Quarter by F. Berkeley Smith. Chapter One. In the Rue Vaugirard. Like a dry brook, its cobblestone bed zigzagging past quaint shops and cafes, the Rue Vaugirard finds its way through the heart of the Latin Quarter. It is only one in a score of other busy little streets that intersect the Quartier Latin. But as I live on the Rue Vaugirard, or rather just beside it, up an alley and in the corner of a picturesque old courtyard leading to the Lavoir Gabriel, a somewhat angelic name for a huge barn-like structure reeking in suds and steam, and noisy with gossiping washerwomen who pay a few sous a day there for the privilege of doing their washing and as my studio windows, the big one with the north light, and the other one a narrow slit reaching from the floor to the high ceiling for the taking in of the big canvases one sees at the salon, which are never sold, overlook both alley and court. I can see the life and bustle below. This is not the Paris of boulevards, ablaze with light and thronged with travellers of the world, nor of big hotels and chic restaurants without prices on the menus. In the latter the maitre d'hôtel makes a mental inventory of you when you arrive, and before you have reached your coffee and cigar, or before madame has buttoned her gloves, this well-shaved, dignified personage has passed sentence on you, and you pay according to whatever he thinks you cannot afford. I knew a fellow once who ordered a peach in winter at one of these smart taverns, and was obliged to wire home for money the next day. In the quartier latin, the price is always such an important factor that it is marked plainly, and often the garçon will remind you of the cost of the dish you select in case you have not read aright. For in this true Bohemia one's daily fortune is the one necessity so often lacking that any error in regard to its expenditure is a serious matter. In one of the well-known restaurants, here celebrated as a rendezvous for artists, a waiter, as he took a certain millionaire's orders for asparagus, said, "'Does monsieur know that asparagus costs five francs? At all times of the day and most of the night the rue Vaugirard is busy. During the morning push-carts loaded with red gooseberries, green peas, fresh sardines, and mackerel, their sides shining like silver, line the curb in front of the small shops.' Diminutive donkeys, harnessed to picturesque two-wheeled carts piled high with vegetables, twitch their long ears and doze in the shady corners of the street. The gutters, flushed with clear water, flash in the sunlight. Baskets full of red roses and white carnations, at a few sous the armful, brighten the cool shade of the alleys leading to courtyards of wild gardens, many of which are filled with odd collections of sculpture discarded from the ateliers. Old women in linen caps and girls in felt slippers and leather-covered sabots market baskets on arm, gossip in groups or hurry along the narrow sidewalk, stopping at the butcher's or the baker's to buy the déjeuner. Should you breakfast in your studio and do your own marketing, you will meet with enough politeness in the buying of a pâté, an artichoke, and a bottle of vin ordinaire to supply a court welcoming a distinguished guest. Politeness is second nature to the Parisian. It is the key to one's daily life here, the oil that makes this finesse of civilization run smoothly. "'Bonjour, madame,' says the well-to-do proprietor of the tobacco shop and café, to an old woman buying a sou's worth of snuff. 
"'Bonjour, monsieur,' replies the woman with a nod. "'Merci, madame,' continues the fat patron as he drops the sou into his till. "'Merci, monsieur, merci,' and she secretes the package in her netted reticule, and hobbles out into the sunny street, while the patron attends to the wants of three draymen, who have clambered down from their heavy carts, for a friendly chat and a little vermouth. A polished zinc bar runs the length of the low-ceilinged room. A narrow winding stairway in one corner leads to the living apartments above. Behind the bar shine three well-polished square mirrors, and ranged in front of these, each in its zinc rack, are the favorite beverages of the quarter. Anisette, absinthe, menthe, grenadine, each in zinc-stoppered bottles, like the ones in the barber-shops. At the end of the little bar a cocher is having his morning tipple, the black brim of his yellow glazed hat resting on his coarse red ears. He is in his shirt-sleeves, coat slung over his shoulder, and whip in hand. He is on the way to get his horse and voiture for the day. To be even a cocher in Paris is considered a profession. If he dines at six-thirty and you hail him to take you as he rattles past, he will make his brief apologies to you without slackening his pace, and go on to his plat de jour and bottle of wine at his favorite rendezvous, dedicated to the faithful cocher. An hour later he emerges, well-fed, revives his knee-sprung horse, lights a fresh cigarette, cracks his whip like a package of torpedoes, and goes clattering off in search of a customer. The shops along the rue Vaugirard are marvels of neatness. The butcher's shop with its red front is iron-barred like the lion's cage in the circus. Inside the cage are some choice specimens of fillets, rounds of beef, death-masks of departed calves, cutlets, and chops in paper pantalettes. On each article is placed a brass sign with the current price thereon. In Paris nothing is wasted. A placard, outside the butcher's, announces an occasion consisting of a mule and a donkey, both of guaranteed première qualité, and the butcher, a thick-set, powerfully-built fellow with blue-black hair, curly like a bull's, and shining in pomade, with fierce moustache and the same dye, waxed into two formidable points like skewers. Dangling over his white apron, and suspended by a heavy chain about his waist, he carries the long steel spike which sharpens his knives. All this paraphernalia gives him a very fierce appearance like the executioner in the play. But you will find him a mild, kindly man, after all, who takes his absinthe slowly, with a fund of good humour after his day's work, and his family to Vincennes on Sundays. The windows, too, of these little shops are studies in decoration. If it happens to be a problem in eggs, cheese, butter, and milk, all these are arranged artistically with fresh grape-leaves between the white rows of milk-bottles and under the cheese. Often the leaves form a nest for the white eggs, the fresh ones. The hard-boiled ones are dyed a bright crimson. There are china hearts, too, filled with double cream, and cream in little brown pots, roquefort cheese, and camembert, isigny, and pont l'eveque, and chopped spinach. Delicatessen shops display galantines of chicken, the windows banked with shining cans of sardines and herrings from Dieppe, liver pâtés and creations in jelly, tiny sausages of doubtful stuffing, and occasional yellow ones like the odd firecracker of the pack. 
Grocery shops, their interiors resembling the toy ones of our childhood, are brightened with cones of snowy sugar in blue paper jackets, the wooden drawers filled with spices. Here, too, one can get an excellent light wine for eight sous the bottle. As the day begins, the early morning cries drift up from the street. At six the fisherwomen with their pushcarts go their rounds, each singing the beauties of her wares. Voila, les beaux macarots, chants the sturdy vendor, her sabots clacking over the cobbles as she pushes the cart or stops and weighs a few sous' worth of fish to a passing purchaser. The goat-boy, piping his oboe-like air, passes, the goats scrambling ahead alert to steal a carrot or a bite of cabbage from the nearest cart. And when these have passed, the little orgue de Barberie plays its repertoire of quadrilles and waltzes under your window. It is a very sweet-toned organ, this little orgue de Barberie, with a plaintive, apologetic tone, and a flute obligato that would do credit to many a small orchestra. I know this small organ well, an old friend on dreary mornings, putting the laziest riser in a good humour for the day. The tunes are never changed, but they are all inoffensive, and many of them pretty, and to the shrunken old man who grinds them out daily, they are no doubt by this time all alike. It is growing late, and time for one's coffee. The little tobacco shop and café around the corner I find an excellent place for café au lait. The coffee is delicious and made when one chooses to arrive, not stewed like soup, iridescent in color, and bitter with chicory, as one finds it in many of the small French hotels. Two croissants, flaky and hot from the bakery next door, and three generous pats of unsalted butter, complete this morning's repast, and all for the modest sum of twelve sous, with three sous to the garçon who serves you, with which he is well pleased. I have forgotten a companionable cat who each morning takes her seat on the long leather settee beside me, and shares my croissants. The cats are considered important members of nearly every family in the quarter. Big yellow and grey angoras, small, alert, tortoise-shell ones, tiger-like and of plainer breed and more intelligence, bask in the doorways or sleep on the marble-topped tables of the cafés. Qu'est-ce que tu veux, ma pauvre Mimi? condoles Celeste, as she approaches the family feline. Mimi stretches her full length, extending and retracting her claws, rolls on her back, turns her big yellow eyes to Celeste, and mews. The next moment she is picked up and carried back into the house like a stray child. At noon the streets seem deserted, except for the sound of occasional laughter and the rattle of dishes coming from the smaller restaurants as one passes. At this hour these places are full of workmen in white and blue blouses, and young girls from the neighboring factories. They are all laughing and talking together. A big fellow in a blue gingham blouse attempts to kiss the little milliner opposite him at the table. She evades him, and screaming with laughter picks up her skirts and darts out of the restaurant and down the street, the big fellow close on her dainty heels. A second later he has overtaken her, and picking her up bodily in his strong arms, carries her back to her seat, where he places her in her chair, the little milliner by this time quite out of breath with laughter and quite happy. This little episode affords plenty of amusement to the rest of the crowd. They wildly applaud the good-humoured captor, who orders another litre of red wine for those present, and every one is merry. The Parisian takes his hour for déjeuner, no matter what awaits him. It is the hour when lovers meet, too. Edmund, working in the atelier for the reproduction of Louis 
sixteenth furniture meets louise coming from her work on baby's caps in the rue de saint père at precisely twelve ten on the corner of the rue vaugirard and the boulevard montparnasse louise comes without her hat her hair in an adorable coiffure as neatly arranged as a geisha's her skirt held tightly to her hips disclosing her small feet in low slippers there is a golden rule i believe in the french catechism which says it is better child that thy hair be neatly dressed than that thou shouldst have a whole frock and so louise is content the two breakfast on a ragout and a bottle of wine while they talk of going on sunday to st cloud for the day and so they must be economical this week yes they will surely go to st cloud and spend all day in the woods it is the second sunday in the month and the fountains will be playing they will take their dejeuner with them louise will of course see to this and edmund will bring cigarettes enough for two and the wine then when the stars are out they will take one of the bateaux mouches back to paris dear paris the paris of youth of love and of romance the pulse of the quarter begins really to beat at six p m at this hour the streets are alive with throngs of workmen after their day's work seeking their favorite cafes to enjoy their aperitifs with their comrades and women hurrying back from their work many to their homes and children buying the dinner en route henriette who sews all day at one of the fashionable dressmakers in the rue de la paix trips along over the pont neuf to her small room in the quarter to put on her best dress and white kid slippers for it is bouillet night and she is going to the ball with two friends of her cousin in the twilight and from my studio window the swallows like black cinders against the yellow sky dart and swoop above the forest of chimney-pots and tiled and gabled roofs it is the hour to dine and with this thought uppermost in every one's mind studio doors are slammed and night keys tucked in pockets and arm in arm the poet and the artist swing along to that evening mecca of good bohemians the boulevard saint michel end of chapter one